Hello and welcome to Man on the Clapham Omnibus Sport Review. Today I'm going to come up with a solution for extra innings for Major League Baseball. The key question really is, why has extra innings become a problem for baseball? And it's really a problem that's afflicting both major bat and ball sports, both cricket and baseball. With cricket, with test match cricket, what you have is you have five days of play and it's supposed to be 90 overs a day. And that really breaks down to 15, six hours worth of play during a day at 15 overs an hour, which is eminently doable. But the problem is, is that where you've moved from the sport in the 50s, 60s, into a, a latter extent the 70s, there wasn't as many results. Draws was the most common results in test match cricket. So as a result, it was far more pragmatic. You did have long spells of play where not a huge amount was happening, where you could stick a couple of spinners on and you could just roll through the overs quite quickly. There wasn't a huge amount of changes in the field. Your play was meandering because in the end you weren't necessarily playing for the win, you were playing not to lose. So now that you've got a situation where with the explosion of 50 over cricket, the advent of T20 cricket, what you're getting is players who are far more dynamic. The scoring rates have gone up massively. So as a result, you don't have periods of play where not much is happening. The games aren't going five days. But what you're finding is, is that in those mini sessions, those 15 minutes, those half an hour that can decide test matches, you're getting far more fielding changes, far more bowling changes. So as a result, every single ball is has more riding on it. You can't just get through an, a quick hour where not much happens, where you only have a couple of bowlers, where the field stays pretty much the same, where you can just you know get through play quickly. Which is why they're struggling to get through the overs they're supposed to. Why, in the end, the extra half an hour is being tacked on to the end of the day. And they're still not getting through 90 overs. Because the captains are making these decisions. Because the bowlers are taking their time with every single you know delivery they are making. And it's a similar thing in baseball. Why you now have a situation where the average game time for nine at, for nine innings is three plus hours. Even with some of the pace of play changes that have been implemented by the commissioner. You're getting far more pitching changes. You're getting far more, you know, you have meetings at the mound. It was literally pitchers being very deliberative. Hitters being made deliberate, stepping out of the box after every single pitch. You have, you know, and this is where it's multifaceted. You had a situation where you have increased velocity for for relievers, and that was helping fuel a rise of strikeouts in the late innings because people were now, you know, going 95, 96, 98 every single delivery, every single pitch. So you're not. Yeah, whereby you know in previous generations the ball was getting put into play far more often, which was speeding the game up. So, because you've had a situation where you're getting less balls in play, you know you're getting defences becoming redundant. It's people just really standing around, you know. And you've also even had with the advent of advanced defensive shifting, you you're basically getting a situation where even when the ball is put into play. You know, the 
fielders are positioned perfectly for that individual hitter. So you've got in a situation where you're stifling hits. You're even in some ways altering defensive prowess. If you've got a situation where Mike Moustakas and Travis Shaw are able to play second base, having been traditionally third baseman, what that really means is, is that you're positioning your second baseman in a way that doesn't actually need them to have the primary skills that the traditional second baseman requires. In other words, they're not having to turn the double play, they're not having to have the same agility, be able to cover the same amount of ground, because the ball is only being hit into certain areas. And as long as you're effectively proficient at dealing with those ground balls that are hit you know, directly to you, which as a third baseman they would be, they can play second base without it being a complete disaster. So as a result, the game is far more... You know, you've got the rise in the, the three true outcomes. It's strikeouts, walks and home runs. And that's you know really at direct expense of hits and stolen bases. You know, you've had the situation with the launch angle revolution. You know, the, the impact that it's had on player development and hiring practices for coaches. It, it's creating an increasingly homogeneous sport. It's McDonaldization. All of the relievers all have huge fastballs. You know, it's not just your fastball, it's how much spin you put on the ball. You know, with the hitters, it's what your launch angle is. It's you're accepting that you are going to strike out far more often, but if you get enough home runs, that actually makes, you know, makes effectively makes the nut. And in some ways, it's a, this is all an element of the, Unintended consequences. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, what you had was people viewing, you know, looking at advanced statistics, looking at Bill James, looking at all of the, the data that was now coming out of the game and that people were able to effectively create statistics at home. If you had enough of a mathematical understanding and if you had a love of baseball, you could have almost more information than the coaches who were actually at the game, in the dugout, the managers. And what that showed was is that so much of the received wisdom in the game was, was just fundamentally wrong. So having a low on base but speedy runner as your lead-off hitter wasn't actually a particularly effective in comparison with playing someone who was less fast, but at the same point had a you know, much higher on-base percentage. So really what you have was is that the game in the 90s and 2000s, in some ways, was actually fairly ineffective. It was inefficient. It wasn't the best way that you could possibly play baseball by its rules in order to score runs and win games. And that's you know almost sort of a colliery of where you know, Moneyball came from, from the book, and then, you know, the the revolution that that brought into the sport. But what you now really have is a very efficient game, but one that isn't particularly great to watch. Yes, we all love home runs, yes, we love strikeouts, but it's becoming, you know, you're getting, you know, the ball isn't in place, so you're not getting base runners, you're not getting stolen bases, you're not getting triples, you're not, just not getting 
the full extent of what baseball can be as an aesthetic sport. Seeing athletes doing amazing things and how, seeing different type of athletes. You know, great defensive players who are speedy. You know, high average hitters. You know, Ichiro, Tony Gwynn, those sort of players. And as the, the length of the game is, you know, expanding as they get it, the games are getting longer, when you do get extra inning games, you're getting a situation where it's played against a, a backdrop of fans streaming out of the exits. It's a parade of hard-throwing relievers blowing past the bottom third of the line-out. And it lacks a certain amount of, you know, it's, it's not as dramatic. You're more worried about, you know, increased risks of injuries and burnouts. You don't really, after having sat there for, let's say, three hours, three hours, 20, three and a half hours, to then have another open-ended game. I, you know, probably the longest baseball game I ever watched went 18 innings, and I was watching it at home. And it literally started about two, three hours before the World Cup final and ended after the World Cup final had gone to a penalty shootout and was still going on for another couple of hours. So I was there for about six hours. It was a, just before the All-Star break, it was the Boston Red Sox at the White Sox. And it went on and on. And in the end, it became a battle for bloody-mindedness. I just was going to watch the end of this game, even if it carried on all night. I wasn't going to just give it up. But for the most part, you just most of the time you end up giving up. You end up just switching off. You've just lost the interest in finding out who wins that game. You'd rather just wait until the morning and just check the box score. It's not thrilling. And it can be fun at times, you know, just to see how long a game can go. You know, you've obviously got that famous game, you know, with the you know, Portrucket Red Sox. In the 80s where it went 32, uh, 32 innings before it was called off. And it was you know, 5 o'clock in the morning. There was only 32 people in the you know, stadium that was left. All sorts of records were broken. It was just an incredible story. But it's not something that really captures the imagination. I mean it was you know, the World Series game between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. That went you know, 18, 19 innings. It lost, it was fantastic now that you look back on it in hindsight. But for me, watching it literally through the night and into the morning, and I consider myself an absolutely hardcore, devoted baseball fan, it became a struggle more than it was something. It lost an element of the fun to it. And it's not something that will capture the heart and imagination of your casual fan. You know, compare it to other American sports. You know, it doesn't have the crescendo of NBA overtime, which has its ability to place the ball in the hands of its superstars with the game on the line. With the shot clock down to one with two seconds left on the game, it's there's you know, baseball doesn't have that ability to guarantee that Mike Trout will be there when the when the game is absolutely on the line in the way that they can for LeBron. It you know, baseball doesn't extra innings doesn't have the finality of the overtime goal in hockey 
where that's it, it's game over, you've won. Or even the tension that the shootout has. You know, even if you compare it with the NFL, it, it doesn't have the, the battle against the clock in the sense that you just don't want a tied game. You know, what do they call a tied game? It's like kissing your sister. And really what this issue is, is this symptomatic of a wider problem within Major League Baseball? I mean, at the moment, Major League Baseball doesn't seems to lack the ability to create crossover stars. So you have a situation where you have Mike Trout, who is just an amazing ball player. He can do pretty much anything. You know, he's improved his defense in center field. You know, he's got a good throwing arm. You know, he can run. You know, earlier in his career, he was you know can get stolen bases, but he can still you know get double figures every single year without any difficulty. He can take the extra base. He can hit for average. He can take a walk. He has a great batting eye. He can hit home runs. You know, there's it is rare that you would have such talent. The fact is that he could stop playing baseball tomorrow and he would still be an upper echelon Hall of Famer. And yet, he's not widely known to the rest of you know, your everyday sports fan, your casual sports fan, and just Americans in general. You know, they, baseball at the moment seems to have an, an inability to show the rest of the world the all-round gift of its young stars. Because what you have, as I've said earlier, because you once you take away the triple, the stolen bases, there's a lack of signature plays. You know, you know, what people can wax lyrical about when they talk about baseball is someone getting a triple. That means that it's that combination of hitting the ball hard and into a gap and you know the perfect... You know, hitting a baseball is hard work. You know, even if you hit 300, you fail seven times out of ten. And to not only hit the ball hard, you know, and also to have the, the speed to be able to get round three bases, to have ran 270 feet before someone throws you out, is an achievement. The stolen base in terms of the timing it requires, in that you've, you're coming up against a pitcher who will be you know, delivering the ball over 90 miles an hour. You'll have a catcher that from... Basically, receiving the ball to throwing the ball out, it's you know what one point seven seconds, and they're throwing the ball at ninety mile an hour to the second baseman, and you've still got that ninety feet distance, and the skill of being able to just get enough of a lead to again get the jump to get the run. It's incredible, and you know the all-round gifts that you have. So you take someone like Ronald Acuna, who could theoretically get 50 stolen bases and 50 home runs, but that doesn't seem to happen because we, you know, the, the stolen base has been devalued. And yeah, maybe in the spreadsheet that's what it looks like, and I can fully understand and respect that, but it's not an office job. It's a an aesthetic sport. There is something about athletic accomplishment and daring do that you need things like the stolen base that's what captures people's imaginations rather than sitting there saying well actually him you know Acuna staying at first base is you know, is 80% more likely to you know score than if he gets thrown yeah, it's that kind of tabulations that you miss the wood for the trees 
And so when you apply that to, you know, a half-empty stadium, with when you have position players pitching during extra innings, on, on the surface it has an element of enjoyability. You know, the fact that they're just throwing 70, 75, sometimes at best 80 mile an hour fastballs, and you know, curveballs that they haven't used since they were, you know, on a high school mound when they were 16, 17. It's still, at its heart, spreadsheet management. It's fast over drama. It's, I don't want to tire out my bullpen for tomorrow and screw the result. We'll just stick on a, you know, some, you know, one of the bench guys to throw out the last couple of innings just to make up the numbers. You know, th- there's an element of, you know, a lack of tactical nuance. So you, you're limiting the role of the manager. And that pushes increasing power to the front office and technology. And as we've seen with the you know, Houston Astros scandal, you know, with sign stealing, technology in the front office isn't always a panacea. It isn't going to solve all of your problems. It, you will end up having a more efficient game, but a less enjoyable game for the fan watching at home. And for, in a way to increase Major League Baseball's popularity, to make it more of a national sport, than a regional sport. Now the thing is, with the rise in home runs, you know you could attribute it to the juice ball. You can attribute it to the increase in velocity, the the launch angle revolution. Yeah, you're getting more home runs, but you're not getting a you're not getting a narrative out of it. You're not getting the home run chases that you had between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. You know, no one is at threat at the moment at threat to get hit sixty. So what you're getting is just everyone in the league getting thirty, a handful of people getting forty, and then you know maybe one or two players getting just over fifty. So you know Pete Alonso getting fifty three last season. It that's not capturing people's imagination. In that regards, it's not breaking any records, it's not moving new grounds, which at least you could say was happening in the late 90s when you were, you know, Barry Bonds hitting 73 home runs, Mark McGuire hitting 60, and so on and so forth, and breaking Roger Maris's record, and then the eventual breaking of Hank Aaron's record. What baseball, modern baseball, is doing isn't creating those narratives, it's not, the sport as a whole isn't able to show off its talent in the most interesting ways. It's an efficient game, but it's not interesting and gripping in a way that the inefficient baseball of the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s was for the fan. Which I think in some ways really does explain why you have had you know, a drop in attendance. And while, you know, yes, there does need to be a change in pace of play. There does need to be a pitch clock. You do need a way to really make sure that the, the the average goes below three hours. I don't think you're ever going to get back to a situation where in the 20s and 30s you were having ball games that were being done in two hours. I don't think in a professional world that you can do that. Much in the same way I don't think in test matches that, you know, no matter which way you go about it, you have you know you can sit there and you can find captains, you can ban captains for you know going against the you know overrate, but really you do have to understand that the sport has changed, and then work that into it to understand that it is a slightly slower pace. But if 
by not getting through 90 overs, you at least get more wins, more losses, rather than just a phalanx of draws, then that is actually beneficial. I'd rather four days of slightly slower-paced cricket that produces a result than five, you know, perfectly, you know, efficient games where you get 90 overs every single day, but you end up with a draw because no one was going for the win. So what I'm going to do, before putting my, my solution to MLB's problems with extra innings, is to use the Cricket World Cup final in 2019 as a case study. So the 2019 Cricket World Cup was held in England and Wales, and the International Cricket Council, who run international cricket, basically finalised the tournament rules in about 18 months before the tournament started. So uh, when it came down to the final, it's 50 overs a side, and if, let's say, India were to get hit 300 and... 300 runs and Australia would hit 300 what would happen is is that you would go to a super over so in other words India would have a chance to bat first let's say they score 10 Australia would need 11 runs from their super over to win and obviously and this is really where it becomes more of a it was an ass covering exercise what they said was is that if let's say the the final was tied and the super over was tied whoever scored the most boundaries so in other words whoever hit the most sixes the most fours you know would basically be the winner but the thing is they've never been in all of the you know 30 40 years of cricket world cup finals they'd never been a tied final so that never happened and when they even when they do super overs in different forms of cricket at the lower levels rarely had you ever had a situation where you'd had a tied super over. So in other words, really it was just to cover them in case of something that they never thought would happen. And then of course, 2019 Cricket World Cup final, England versus New Zealand, it was tied after 50 overs and the super over was tied. <laughs> and England, who had you know, hit the most boundaries over the course of the match, won. And to be honest with you, it was the right result in the sense that over the four-year period between the last World Cup and the 2019 World Cup, England had played the best one-day international cricket. They'd got the best results, they'd scored the most runs. They had really fundamentally altered what was possible in that game. In other words, hitting 400, 450. You know, the amount of sixes they were hitting, the amount of fours, and just the way how they were fielded, it was the right result. But obviously, I, I feel a lot of sympathy for New Zealand in the sense that boundary count is not the perfect way to end a World Cup. It's arbitrary, it was slightly random, and the good news was is that they immediately after the end of the tournament amended it. So that if there was ever this situation again, a second over would take place. But the key element to that final was, is that at the end of the match, is that you had a situation where the best bowlers on both sides and the best batsmen were all on the field. 
and that they have to show the full extent of their athletic gifts in a highly pressurised environment in front of an energised ground and crowd. The point is the fielders knew that any mistake, if they dropped a catch, if they there was a misfield, that that could be the, the, the tournament. That They could lose the World Cup. They had the World Cup in their hands. You know, for the casual fans you know, watching at home, they were able to easily understand the rules and the drama that this created. And they knew that the match would be over one way or the other within sort of 15, 20 minutes. And that's why it worked so well. Is that what you have with the Cricket World Cup final was is that it was the first nationally televised for years. So all these people who didn't have Sky Sports, who didn't have a subscription to, you know, a satellite TV provider, were now finally watching cricket. You know, it's a final, it's one off, it was held in England, chance for England to be their first ever time they've won the Cricket World Cup. So of course you had a whole bunch of people who usually wouldn't sit down and watch cricket for six, seven hours on a Sunday afternoon. But they were there, they were in the moment and it was fantastic. It went down to the final ball. New Zealand need two to win. England need you know, either a dot ball or you know, just one run or less. And England win. And they did. On a run out. With, so literally Martin Guptill was running. And was basically about 10 feet, 5 to 10 feet short of winning the World Cup. But if the, the England you know, fielder had dropped the ball. Thrown it wide. New Zealand would have won. It was a fantastic sporting moment. I mean... If you've never seen the, the end of the 2019 Cricket World Cup, the second you've finished listening to this podcast, find it on YouTube. It's fantastic. It is emotional. It is gripping. And so baseball needs to ask itself, does it put its best pitchers, its best hitters, into that position enough of the time during the regular season in terms of extra innings? I mean, the thing is, one of baseball's great selling points is the length of the season. In uh, Outside of the playoff pennant race, one game isn't definitive in of itself. You know, you can get caught up in an individual game. Let's say you're watching a game and there's a no-hitter going. That can capture you. You, know, you can have a particularly well-played game. That go, you know, that where there's multiple lead changes, and it finally goes down to the bottom of the ninth. So if you were watching there at the stadium, that's one of your five games a year you go to. You would get into it, even if it didn't mean a huge amount in the standings. But it's also not the end of your season. Much in the, in the same way that if you have with the NFL, if you make, you know, one game really can make the difference. It often comes down to your kicker, and that if your kicker doinks it off of the upright you're not going to the playoffs. And that can be in week one of the season, and that by the time you get to week 17, it comes down to that one mistake that happened at the start of the season. That one play for one kicker in a you know game played by 55 individuals, it comes down to the kicker still. And that with baseball, you, but you can still enjoy the season. So you can enjoy the, you know, the mid-July games. You know, where you're just enjoying the game. You've got it on in the background while you're working out in the yard. you know, Or you're just sitting there, you know, you've got it on the radio while you're going for a drive. So that has the, you know, the element of the pastime, that evocation of the sport. So for me, I would really advocate 
maintaining the, the, the sort of fundamental dichotomy in baseball between the sort of heart-stopping adrenaline of the playoffs, where you literally it is as if you are plugging yourself into the you know, 240-volt socket for four hours, where you just can't breathe, where every single moment feels like it is the end of the world. With this game that literally, you know, you can be sitting there in June... It doesn't matter who wins or loses, you just enjoy the game for what it is in that moment. You, know, you need to keep the sanctity of the 162-game, nine-inning marathon of the regular season. But you need to turn extra innings into a forum for the best baseball players to display the full range of their talent in a new, sudden-death format. Extra innings need to show baseball and its players at its best. So my concept would be is that at the end of nine innings, if the game is tied, the managers would go up to the umpires and they would submit their extra inning batting lineup. And it would be three hitters. And so it would be one, two, three. And their pitcher. So you'd have that, you'd have that lineup card. And effectively, what you would then have is you would have the top of the 10th. And so in this situation, let's just say you've got the closer of the of the row team coming up against the, your best hitter. So in this situation, it's Yankees versus the Angels. So it's Aroldis Chapman coming up against Mike Trout. And Trout hits a single. What would then happen? You would then go to the bottom of the 10th inning. And it would be the Angels closer coming up against Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge has to hit a single to tie the game. Or walk or reach base to tie the game and send it to the 11th inning. He hits a double, triple home run. They won the game. And if you have a situation where they both strike out. You would then go to your second hitter. And if both of them struck out, you'd go to the third hitter. They both struck out. You would then go back to your first hitter. Yeah, In that sense, what you're trying to do is create a situation where your best three hitters are constantly in the ball game and extra innings, and it's sudden death. You know that when the tenth inning starts, there's only going to be two hitters. Two at-bats. That means every single pitch has that quality that all great postseason games have. It's on the line. You know, you've got the best pitchers and the best hitters. And you're putting that pressure on the defense. So in other words, if you know that a double wins the game, that means that if there's a ball in play, if you hit the ball in play and it's a single, the runner will be going for second. So your throw has to be perfect. The second baseman or the shortstop who takes the throw has to nail the tag. If they miss, you, the game's finished. You know, If you've got a situation where it's the Yankees versus the Red Sox at Fenway Park and the New York closer comes onto the mound, bottom of the 10th inning, Walk loses the game. So if you go oh, you know, 1-0, pressure's going to be on. 2-0, pressure's going to be on. 
you're going to have the crowd is going to be going mental. You go 3-0. and You know that that ball, your next delivery, has to be a fastball and it has to be down Main Street. You cannot risk, you know, trying to hit the corners or else the game's over. But then that puts the pressure straight back on to the Boston hitter. Does he take that pitch hoping that it's a ball and the game's over? Or does he try and go for the single? It's all of that thought process. It, literally, do you try and go for a ground ball? Do you try and drop a bunt? All of these thought processes in the absolute most pressurised situation. You, know, you, you suddenly bring back defence. You know, errors become critical. Any mistake. You know, you're constantly trying to put pressure on the opposition. So if you can hold it to a single rather than a double... You know, and it then brings the manager back into it. You know, any changes to a sport needs to have a tactical element for it to be interesting. It's, it's the Philadelphia conundrum. Any change to baseball rules or anything of this nature needs to be able to drive the Philadelphia Phillies manager mad. So in other words, what do you do? So you've got your game. So you've literally, you know, logic would tell you that you would always pick your best three hitters, you know, for extra innings. So if it's the Angels, you would naturally go with Trout, Anthony Rendon, and Shoshay Atani. But what happens if you've had a situation where on the day, you know, Atani's gone 0 for 4, 4 strikeouts, golden sombrero, but your number 9 hitter has had you know, a career day, has gone 4 for 4. Do you go with your gut element, you know, your gut and say, actually... I'm going to put in, you know, the number nine hitter because he's having such an amazing day. He's bound to hit one out, you know, right here and now. Or do you, you know, basically bench him and do you go with your star player, even if he's in a horrendous slump? You know, what do you do? Do you end up, I don't know, re-emphasising, you know, singles hitters, you know, Ichiro, Tony Gwynn? Do you bring those sort of players into your extra inning lineup, knowing that yeah, if they can get a single, fantastic. That's going to win the game more often than not. But what happens if then your pitcher gives up a double in the top half of the inning, and now suddenly you're looking at a double and a triple, you know, to win the game. Anything that brings in that level of tactics, you know, what do you do? You know, and it punishes relievers who gives up walks. It punishes hitters who take you strike out too much, and it brings in defensive positioning in a more interesting way than currently it is with with regards to shifting. So, what do you do as the manager if, let's say, a single wins the game? Do you draw the infield in? You know, it limits things like the egregious shift for left-handed hitters. So in other words, you know, for like Chris Davis, for Big Pappy when he you know was playing, you you can't leave third base complete the third base side completely open if a single wins the game. He, they can drop a bunt. You know, it becomes so much more well rounded as a sport because you're bringing you know you need to get the ball in play to win games. You need to play good defense. You can't maybe afford your second baseman being a you know decent third baseman because you can shift. When it gets to extra innings, you're going to need that 
you know, to make a traditional standard play that uh, you know that any good second baseman can make. If your third baseman playing a second base boots the ball, you've lost the game. And because you're creating quick results, the majority of the crowd can stay. It creates a playoff intensity. It requires the broader range of skills, and it also requires moxie, grit. You know, even all the things that you know that used to be laughed at and said that doesn't exist. You know, clutch hitting. Well, that would suddenly actually become part of the game. And this is the thing: it it's not going to be a perfect solution. You know. And I can understand why old-timey baseball fans would and traditionalists would find this utterly wrong because you're, you know, effectively taking the the bottom two thirds of the lineup out of baseball. You know, once nine innings is completed, and for me, really, yeah, most extra inning games only last you know to the tenth, the eleventh inning. And yeah, you would lose some of those fantastic moments where, you know, it goes 17 innings and freaky stuff starts happening. But I don't think those rarities and those moments are necessarily capturing the imagination of sports fans, of casual fans. I don't think it's selling the sport in the best way. If you think can think of two players who would be perfect for this would be... Ronald Acuna and Mike Trout, because they're brilliant players. You know, Acuna has pace, he has power. You know, he you know, he can hit for average as well. And that's where it is. You're putting your best players up against each other on a regular basis in a way that instantaneously everyone knows what would happen. I think if this was to actually happen, my favourite one would be the moment where the road team hits a triple in their first at bat in the top of the 10th and it basically means that whoever comes up in the bottom half of the 10th inning it's a home it's a triple to tie or a home run to win it and when they smash a home run that would just be the most amazing moment because there's in other words you can't you, know, you can't get away from it it is you have to hit this ball hard you have to be able to run to even make the triple or the inside the park home run. And you'd be able to put your defense, you know, you'd have effectively no one in the infield. You would, it would almost be like something out of the, you know, the home run derby. You would have, you know, six man outfield. And really the only realistic way you can win is to hit that home run. And if you were the road team, if you were at home listening to it on the radio or watching it on streaming on MLB.tv, you've hit a triple. You should almost certainly win the game. All your pitcher has to do is not give up a home run. It's that kind of passion. And so if you compare it to what you know MLB in some of the ways how they've been thinking about how to you know spice up or make you know or shorten games in terms of extra innings, well their idea would be to put a runner at second to start the top of the tenth. They've done it in the minor leagues last year. And for me, it's contrived and arbitrary. It's just a way of ending games quicker. It's not something that you would start to look forward to from the eighth inning as a fan. So in other words, when I you know, first became a major baseball fan, so that's the kind of, you know, sort of early 2000s, and I was able to follow it on a regular basis online. For me, if I was sitting there watching a Red Sox-Yankee game, 
is, and you know it's in the ninth inning, is that you would know that if it was a temp under these rules, it would be, you know, Papelbon versus A-Rod. And in the bottom half of the inning, it would be Ortiz versus Rivera. That's something that you could look forward to. That's something you could debate. Okay, well, you know, obviously A-Rod, you know, had better, you know, was quicker than Ortiz. So if he legs out um, a double, you know, will that, you know, disadvantage the Red Sox? But if you've got Ortiz, he can hit a home run. It's that kind of thought process that would go through your mind. Do you stick the lefty in, or do you put David Ortiz as your second hitter and put Manny in against a against Rivera? It's those kind of decisions that you'd be sitting there thinking for the manager. You'd be having that debate. You'd have that part that you'd have that debate in the sports pages. Yeah, at the water cooler. Just think of how exciting these sort of marquee matchups would be. I mean, compare it with look to the success of the home run derby matches matchups. Where you you know you can sit there and work out oh who do you think would win who do you think it's it's new and it's exciting and it's something that's different that would capture people's imagination in a way that putting a runner at second doesn't it you know the three true outcomes issue would still be a problem you'd still have shifts you would still have probably too many strike ups sorry strikeouts. you know it's no it's not guaranteed that, that would massively speed up the games. And there's no guarantees that you would have the star players at bat during the crucial moments. And the thing is, you're not this new style of extra innings, sudden death extra innings. You're not cheating the fans. You know they've already had three plus hours of nine inning baseball where you know you have the one to nine lineup playing. It's a still a hundred and sixty two game season. But what it's trying to do, it's trying to end the game in front of a full house in a way that's exciting, in a way that for those 5 to 10 to 15 minutes, you're completely engrossed in every single pitch. Now, I, I, when I went to America last summer, I went to a Red Sox game that went into deep into extra innings with the LA Dodgers. And it was sad watching a game with everyone streaming out. And it just it went on longer and longer and to the point it had been sort of nearly four or five hours, and you're sitting there and it was you know getting close to midnight and you're thinking well actually I'm gonna have to walk back to the hotel and I didn't want to leave the game, but at the same time, you know, the bullpens were starting to thin out. It was you know it was the bottom end of both bullpens. And there hadn't been many balls in play. There hadn't been many opportunities for both sides to really win the game. And so for so for so much of it, and it took so long with so many reliever changes, is that it wasn't actually particularly exciting. You could sit there and say, oh, okay, that pitch didn't really matter. It's 0-1 or 1-0. What this could do is that if you have three or four games that go into extra innings, you create almost in the way how the red zone does it in NFL, that witching hour. So between 10pm and 11pm Eastern time, you'd have those moments where games are won and lost, where when it goes to extra innings, you know that it's always going to be the best players up against each other in one-on-one matchups. So that you could literally have 
cut-ins to Yankee Stadium, to Wrigley Field, when it is you know, the Cardinals Cubs, when it's Red Sox Yankees. So that you could then have that in you know, Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, to really capture people's imaginations, to suit the modern audience and casual fans better. So that they know that when it goes to extras, it's going to be something big. Something's going to happen in the next five seconds. You can't turn the channel because something will happen. This game will be decided here and now. You, know, you need a situation where Mike Trout, where Ronald Acuna, where Xander Bogoth, where Mookie Betts are there against the best pitchers. Showing their full range of skills. So if you have to hit a triple to win, or to tie the game, or you have to hit a double or you have to get a single, or walk against an incredibly difficult reliever who's pumping gas at 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. What you would create is a platform that allows baseball to sell itself, and the amazing skill of its superstars at a national and international level. So if you, know, you want to create new stats, you want new ways to strategize the game for the manager, for the coaches, you want to have a situation, you want to have an award at the end of the season for the best extra inning hitter and the best extra inning pitcher. You want just moments of absolute drama. Thank you for listening.